0: And as you are seated, you can turn in your Bibles or read behind me the passage today. We continue in our series on the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Appreciate everybody that's been involved in the worship, the choir, and Ashley, our organist, pianist. And for Heath, I thank Heath for his prayer. Uh, that the reading and the preaching of God's word would be blessed. We trust that God will do that by his spirit as this passage is read. We begin with verse 14 of chapter 9. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to, ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, "O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Well, it's that time of year. It's school time. Some of you have been in school for a couple of weeks. It's so exciting. Some of you are very excited. You get to go to school. And some of you are not so excited, but I have a, a relative doesn't live in the area, a young young girl. And she uh, was so excited about going to her first day of school and wasn't able to go because she got covid. And she just was so disappointed. And finally, last Monday, she was able to go to school. She was so excited. And so should we. We should be excited because we're about to go to school today. Jesus has taken us to school, the school of faith that's what we're going to learn about today. Jesus will teach us in the school of faith. And so for those of you note takers, we're going to start out by talking about the fact that faithlessness or a lack of faith is a big problem. It's not a small thing. Lack of faith is a big problem. And then we go to Christ in the school of faith. And specifically, he teaches us in two different practical ways. He teaches faith at the point of our weakness, and secondly, he teaches us faith at the point of our strength. So as we look at the fact that faithfulness is a big problem, a lack of faith is a big problem, we need to start with what is faith? And let's use the Bible to define what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So a biblical definition of faith in general is a conviction of things that are not seen. Ricky Gervais, the comedian and atheist, uh, was interviewed by Stephen Colbert. And in that interview, he said, I don't believe in anything without evidence. I have no problem with spirituality. I feel it in many ways. When I see nature, it is an awe. But I don't believe somebody made it. And Gervais goes on to say, I have faith in people. It will be OK. And Stephen Colbert responds, what? Have you seen people's track record? <laughs> faith is to rely on someone or something else instead of yourself. And in a certain sense, everybody has faith. The Israelites in the Old Testament during the wilderness wanderings, they had faith in an idol and a golden calf. Some people have faith in a gold coin or a dollar bill. Some people have Faith in a person, like Ricky Gervais said. Maybe you have faith in yourself, in your own ingenuity, in your intellect, in your hard work. Now, Jesus isn't critiquing a lack of faith in general, but the absence of faith in the one true God. And again, if we get back to our definition, we see that the definition of faith that the Bible holds out is a conviction of things not seen. Jesus... When uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas, you remember in the Bible after Jesus' resurrection, uh, he said, I'm not going to believe until I touch his hands and put my hand in his side. And so he saw Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, you believe because you've seen blessed are those who are going to believe and yet not see. They've not seen me, but they're going to believe. So that's what faith is. And Jesus said. In Matthew and Mark 9:19, 9, and he answered them, "O, oh, faithless generation! How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you?" Now, faithfulness in the language the Bible was written in Greek, can mean, just like in the English, there's a range of meanings. It can mean unfaithful, that is untrustworthy or not keeping your commitment, but it also can mean what it is clearly in this text, and that is lacking faith. Oh, generation that lacks faith. And he acknowledged that this was widespread in that generation. Now, we can ask the question, who specifically is Jesus critiquing in this scenario there? Because, again, as we look at the the language of the Bible, the Greek, it's not clear exactly. Is Jesus talking about the disciples? Is he talking about the man who is bringing his, his son? Is he talking about? Everybody. Is he talking about the scribes? And it's probably best to see Jesus as speaking to everybody because he's exasperated at the whole generation. Generationally, the people, the Israelites at the time of Christ, were lacking in faith. Now, how big a deal is that? On a scale of one to ten, with ten being the worst, it's a ten. And I say that because Jesus is using the language that was used previously in the Bible in describing the faithlessness of the Israelites after their wilderness wanderings. This is part of what's called the Song of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. And it begins at Deuteronomy 32, 20. And God said, I will hide my face from them. I will see that what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. Generation without faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. And so faithlessness, a lack of faith, is akin to idolatry. It's, it's trusting in something else other than the one true God. And putting our hope in him. Who is it that's your rock? You know, we can, we can trust people in a provisional kind of sense, right? You might trust your parents. You, know, you might have a good boss. You might trust your boss, you know, in a kind of a provisional way to, to do you well and not do you harm. But in this ultimate sense, who is your rock, your foundation in whom you put your trust Israel is a faithless generation. In the Old Testament, the Israelites at the time of Christ were a faithless generation. How about our generation? Do we have a generation that is characterized by faith in the one true God? How about the church in America? Is the church in America characterized as a church of faith? How about our church? How about you personally? Would you say you're characterized by faith or do we also have difficulties and struggle with faithlessness, a lack of faith? Jesus Christ asked the question in Luke eighteen eight: when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When Jesus Christ returns, will he find faith? And I don't know about you, but it's my desire to grow in faith. To grow in faith in the one true God, to rely on him as my rock. In fact, Peter says, Apostle Peter in 1 Peter, the first chapter, that that faith is more precious than gold. It's the most precious commodity we have is faith. And so let's go and learn of Jesus in the school of faith. What we find is that Jesus Christ teaches us to have faith, to trust in him in our deepest needs. He uses our deepest needs to teach us to have faith in him. So Jesus Christ will teach. We find he teaches this father. He schools him in faith uh, at his point of weakness, beginning again in Mark chapter 9, verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, "O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it is often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. We find here that we have need of faith when it comes to dire physical problems. And this man was in a very bitter situation. He had a son uh, that had all of these problems I know some of you have met my nephew. He was here about a year ago, and he's got this condition that nobody's really been able to diagnose where he will have full body spasms that will take over his entire body. And so if you can kind of imagine the pain of a cramp, if you had a cramp in your leg, and imagine that over your whole body, that's what he goes through. And so what we have here is something similar but much worse as bad as that is he foams at the mouth he grinds his teeth he becomes rigid he can't speak and so this father has this concern for his son and we might feel helpless as we're going through our own personal uh, difficulties with uh, physical illness but we feel feel even more so when it has to do with a family member we love whether it's a son or a daughter or a parent Somebody that we care about. We have no ability to help them in and of ourselves. We're completely helpless. We're completely um, at our point of weakness. And there's this massive need that we cannot solve. Now, we also see a second need here, and that is there's faith needed for spiritual needs when Satan assaults you. And understand, and there are people that would say, oh, this is just kind of a physical manifestation. No, It's very clear that this is presented in Scripture as both a physical manifestation and an oppression by demonic, satanic forces. Mark nine seventeen, and someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now, we won't go into a whole uh, recap of uh, the work of demonic activity in this world and satanic activity. We covered that at the very beginning of our series as we began to to look in it. But to say that there are demonic and satanic forces, there is a being, a spiritual being that is opposed to God and opposed to us. Now, why, why would this spiritual being, why would the demonic powers be so intent on destroying a human being? Well, all humans are created in the image of God. We have We're created in God's likeness, not that we are God, but God has put a special in a special sense. We are created in God's image. Genesis 126 and 27 says, and let us God said, then let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And Satan is in opposition of God and anybody who would have. The image of God, what he would do to God, he will do to the image of God. And so in the garden, he opposed us. He opposed humanity in the temptation and bringing about that temptation. Adam and Eve of their free will ate of the fruit, disobeyed God and experienced death. And ever since then, we've inherited their nature of rebellion and we have We have experienced the wages of that sin, which is death. And Satan loves to oppose and loves the death of those who have God's image on him. Ephesians 6.12, the Apostle Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, to be clear, not every physical ailment is the direct work of satanic opposition, and we see that, in fact, in the Gospel of Mark itself. There are times when Jesus and the disciples heal people. There's no indication at all of any kind of spiritual force at work. And yet we have both physical problems and spiritual problems in this world, and our relatives have them, too. Right. You're concerned about your daughter, your son, your parents, your father, your mother. You're concerned about where they're at spiritually, about how they seem to be in the grip of spiritual forces that are opposed to God, not God himself. And many of them, many of us encounter very, very dire, desperate physical situations and truth be told, there are sometimes that our our needs are so desperate that we can begin to doubt that God could ever meet them or would ever meet them. And that's particularly true when we try and we try and we try. We go to God. Things don't happen. That's what happened with this man. What did he do? He went to the disciples. The disciples failed. And so when he comes to Jesus. He has this sort of sheepish request. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I don't know. Your disciples couldn't do it. Maybe you can do it. Give it a shot, would you? And Jesus responds and he teaches him and he schools him in faith. And he responds with the exact same words back to him. If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, in our text today, with all of these dire things that are going on, the most emotional outburst is right at that point where he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Because he has been schooled by Jesus. He understands. He sees that there's hope. He sees that there's a need for faith. He acknowledges that he has faith in Jesus Christ. And yet he realizes he needs more. I want more faith, Jesus. And so the problem's not with God. The problem's not with Jesus. Jesus points it right back at him and says, will you have faith in me? Will you trust me? The man was taught not to have faith in himself, not to have faith in medicine, not to have faith in money, nor the government, but to rely on Jesus. And it's not to say that any of those institutions or any of those things are wrong or bad we can't utilize them but what is our ultimate rock what is our ultimate salvation he teaches faith in Jesus through this dire need and so we find that his faith is mixed with uncertainty and our faith is mixed with uncertainty would you cry out to Jesus Lord I believe I do believe I really believe help my unbelief it's, uh, it's simply an acknowledgement that at times our faith is lacking, that we're not trusting in God as the almighty God. And I've said this before uh, to the congregation. I mean, I uh, struggle at times with anxiousness and I acknowledge that it's a lack of faith. And I consider that to be a big problem, as we've seen today. And yet Christ is patient as we come to him, asking for him to bolster our faith, that we do believe but we need more faith. And probably for some of you, you might say, I don't know that I've ever believed, but would you go to him for the first time and say, would you give me faith? Would you have at least that much faith to go to him and to ask him to give you the faith that is necessary? You know, Jesus asked the question in verse 19, how long must I put up with you? He's exasperated. How long must I put up with you? Now, he's looking toward his death that's going to come in his earthly ministry before he dies and he's resurrected and he goes. But when I read that, I said, the answer to your question, Jesus, is forever. <laughs> you're going to have to put up with me forever. Uh, you're going to have to put up with us forever, your children forever. And as long as we live in this world before Jesus Christ returns are we going to be with him when we're no longer walking by faith, but we then walk by sight, we will have both faith and uncertainty at the same time. And so we need to cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so Jesus responded to this imperfect faith and this request to increase his faith. Verse 25, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And Jesus wins the battle in dramatic fashion over his illness, over satanic opposition. So much so that he looked like he was a corpse. Most said he's dead, verse 26. And what did Jesus do? He lifted him by the hand and he arose. Now, he wasn't dead. People thought he was dead, but this is actually a type of resurrection. It is, a, it is an image of resurrection. That same language of taking by the hand and arising was the language used of the little girl and in Mark chapter 5, that was risen from the dead. And Jesus Christ is going to talk in the very next passage about how he is going to die and he's going to arise, the same language. And there are for us desperate needs that are so desperate that it, the solving, the meeting of those needs, would seem tantamount to resurrection, the rising of the dead. They're so great, they're so difficult, they're so significant. How could they ever be undone? How could they ever be changed? It's like a resurrection, and Jesus has the ability to do that. So we learn from Jesus in the school of faith. Now, will Jesus heal every disease? Will he solve every unsolvable problem in our life? In eternity, he will, but not here. He never promises to do that. But he does have the ability to do that, if it would be good for him. Good for you and good for God's glory. He has the ability to do that. And Jesus says to us, you have not because you ask not. And so we need to continue to ask and continue to believe and understand that he always has the ability to meet that deepest need. Now, we also see in our text that Christ teaches faith at the very point where somebody has strength. Mark chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, apparently, part of what's going on is the disciples are relying on their past track record and their abilities. The disciples have been authorized and empowered by Jesus to heal the sick and to raise the dead And they have done it successfully. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And verse 13, and they cast out many demons and anointed many who were sick and healed them. Now, the Lord equips not only the disciples, he equips us in many ways. And all that equipping is a gift from the Lord not something to be taken for granted. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? we received what we received from the Lord's, Lord. In Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, we learn of the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God gives to his people for the building up of each other. You may not have the Uh, gift of healing or the gift of casting out demons, but there are other gifts that God gives to us, his people, his church, for the building up of his kingdom and the church itself. Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And at the head of this list, the Apostle Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. We were to exercise our gifts in faith. Understanding that even in our point of strength, even in the point where God has ordained for us to do certain things and have gifted you to do certain things, that we must have faith in him to work as he has gifted us. Once had a a teacher in seminary. It was probably my in my top three classes at seminary. This professor was amazing. He taught the entire class without notes. Unreal. Unreal. He had an unreal memory. Later in his life, he developed Alzheimer's and lost all of it. And yet for that period in his life, God blessed him greatly and gifted him greatly. And it was a gift. And it was up up to God to give it. And so as you have gifts and abilities that God gives to you to use in the church, you're not to uh, simply say, I've got this gift, but you're to have faith in God and to come to Him and seek His help, to seek His work through it. Mark 9 29, and He said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Uh, this shows, number one, that this was a very difficult case, but number two, that the disciples were not relying on prayer, that they were relying on their track record. One of the best things that can happen to us in our area of strength is that we have failure. So that we are again at that point of strength, driven to God, driven to Christ, asking Him to work in and through us as He gifts us. And so, my question is how about you? Do you operate in your strengths as if it's an automatic thing? You take it for granted? Or do you go to the Lord and pray that He would continue to be working in these ways, both for your good and the good of His church, the good of His people, the good of His kingdom? And the other thing we need to learn is is to pray the prayer of faith, um, not to take it for granted. And sometimes we give up praying if we lose hope. You know, will God meet this deep, deepest need? Sometimes we just give up. And sometimes we don't pray if we don't think God needs our help in areas of strength. You know, you can pray without faith, but you can't have faith without praying. If you have faith, it's going to naturally lead to prayer. You're going to naturally rely on God. And so, my question is how's your prayer life? How is your prayer life? How vital is it? How much are you going to the Lord to call on Him, to pray to Him, to worship Him, to acknowledge His greatness and your weakness? We need to grow in faith. You know, there will come a day when our bodies will fail. You might see God do dramatic things to you and for your children. But eventually, unless the Lord returns, we're going to go home to be with the Lord, which, is, which means we're going to die. And, you know, we we're doing all kinds of things to rebuild our church. And we will rebuild our church. But, you know, someday in the future... In a decade, in a hundred years, who knows, maybe that church will just crumble into the bay, right? I mean, there are certain things in this world that we pray for. We ask the Lord to work, and he cares, and he meets those desperate needs. But we have a greater need. Our greatest need is not for salvation in this world in the sense that we're going to have healing, but our greatest need is for ultimate healing the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the body, where we will no longer be subject to death and decay, that the work of Satan will be completely undone. And that will happen at the resurrection. And we have the greatest need of all is that we would be reconciled to God. You know, it's one thing to maybe be reconciled to somebody in a court of law, but before God, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the penalty of our sin the just penalty is is death and the wrath of god and we need to be forgiven we need that debt to be paid and we need to be reconciled with god that is our greatest need we're weak we can't save ourselves here's what the bible says in romans chapter five verses six through eleven for while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Through Jesus Christ, through Christ's death, paying the penalty for you and for me. Christ has accomplished everything for weak and needy people. That's who we are. How do we receive that gift? How do we receive that status? How do we receive that forgiveness? How do we receive that reconciliation and that Hope and belief and conviction of the reality that one day there will be a resurrection of the dead. It is by faith in Jesus. Faith at the point of our absolute deepest need. Ephesians 2:8 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one can boast. John three sixteen. Probably many of you know, this is one of our first memory verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So we need to rely on Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus. We need to have faith in Jesus. And, you know, sometimes we have to come face to face with desperate needs in our life before we understand that we have a desperate need for the ultimate salvation as well. A pastor friend of mine, we were in Chattanooga and he was telling me about somebody that he was visiting in the hospital, a man uh, that he said, I think you know he is in such dire straits now, um, I think for the first time, he's come to real faith in Jesus Christ. After all these years, it took going into the hospital And having a really a terminal condition, to teach him faith in Jesus, not just for his physical needs, but for his eternal salvation. Another example of that: Frank Barker, who was the uh, previous pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, went to visit a man in a Birmingham hospital. And while he was there, uh, the doctor told the man, and had told the man that he was not going to recover. He was not going to get come out of the hospital. It was very, very Serious situation. And so he was talking to Frank Barker about this. And Frank Barker began to relate to him the things that I've just related to you. Well, you can know, have faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ will give you that reconciled relationship with God from your sins and eternal life and salvation. You can experience that restored relationship now through faith. But for all eternity, you'll be part of his family. You'll enjoy all those things. And just at that point, a man came in, a friend of his and he said, you're going to be okay, and when you get out of here, we're going to pick up where we left off. I'll buy the booze, and we're going to have a great time. And so uh, the, the man in the hospital bed said, no, I'm not going to get better. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to leave this hospital. And uh, the friend wouldn't hear of it. He just carried on and on and on and on with similar comments. And so finally he left. And so he considered his friend's words. He considered Frank Barker's words about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he uh, saw the contrast and he said, would you, Frank said, would you like to receive the, the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus? He said, absolutely. And so he put his faith in Jesus Christ that very day and was right in God's sight. And Frank Barker later preached at that man's funeral. And so I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're in both positions. You find yourself in a position of weakness in some major area of your life. Or maybe you find yourself in a position of strength. And in either situation, Jesus is teaching you to have faith in him. But most of all, he's teaching you to have faith in him for your ultimate salvation. Trust in him for your eternal life. Trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. That will meet every need that you have ultimately for eternity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for the work of Jesus, how you have provided him for us and how Jesus, you came as God's son to live the perfect life that we have not lived and to die on the cross, be raised from the dead so that we might have forgiveness of sins, that we might experience your resurrection life. We might begin to experience that now, but for all eternity We're so thankful for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we now turn our attention to continuing to praise our great God.